0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us a chance to check out some of the recent interviews that we've had on JM in the AM. We'll start with our friends at Koren Publishers. We were with them uh, during the uh, Friday portion of our trip to Israel. Rabbi Avishai Magenza starts off. He is the curator of the NOE edition, Talmud Bavli. He's production manager at Korin, and he joined us while we were in Jerusalem. Rabbi Avishai Magenza. Uh My conversation with him next on JM Rewind here at the Nachum Segal Network. JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos live from Jerusalem. Koran Publishers Jerusalem is one of the world's lo- leading Jewish publishing houses based in the heart of Jerusalem. Their story began in 1962 with the release of the Koran Tanakh, the first Hebrew Bible to be entirely produced by Jews in 500 years. Known for its textual precision and elegant design, the Koran Tanakh won accolades Throughout the world. Since that time, Koran has expanded its publications to texts that range the entire Jewish canon, along with works on biblical scholarship, Jewish philosophy, Jewish history, and the weekly Torah portion by leading scholars in today's Jewish world. Today, Koran is best known for the award winning Koran Sak Siddur and Koran Talmud Bavli with commentary by Rabbi Adin Evan Yisrael. Steinzaltz. And Koren is now offering the Talmud reference package for free when you purchase a set of the Noe edition Korin Talmud Bavli. The Talmud reference package includes all necessary tools to enhance your Gemara learning, including Hamafteach, the practical Talmud dictionary, the Gemara card, and Steinsaltz's revised reference guide. The 42-volume set is now available at the introductory price of $1,600 with free shipping from KorenPub.com. Prices are going up after the Siam. Special for the Siam Ashas, get all of Mesechas Brachos for just thirty dollars. Koran's now offering the Noe Edition Koren Talmud. Mesechas Brachos in color or black and white for just thirty dollars. See Korenpub.com for details. Korenpub.com for details. Rabbi Avishai Magenza is the uh, uh is the curator for the Noe Edition Koren Talmud Bavli and is the production manager. Of all Koren projects, he's been a guest of ours before when we visited Koren headquarters here in Jerusalem. We're on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash Nachholm Siegel Network to see this conversation as it takes place. Facebook.com uh, slash Nachum Siegel Network. Rabbi Avishai So, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Morning. I have to say Mazel tov to you, don't I? Because uh, the Shas is now complete, yeah. and you and the entire staff and these scholars that have worked so hard for many, many years. It would be uh, actually a seven, eight-year project, right?
1: Right. Yeah. A little more than uh, the seven and a half years that it takes to complete uh, Shas, because obviously we were working on Brachot uh, before the beginning of uh, last cycle.
0: Right. And did you ever fear that you might miss one of these deadlines with all the different volumes that were coming out?
1: <laughs> so absolutely. Yeah, we, we were never uh, you know, just uh, sure of ourselves. Uh, we took uh, great measures to make sure that uh, we could meet the the deadlines. And uh, it is with tremendous siyata dishmaya that uh, we really made it. We did not miss a single volume. Amazing. On time.
0: Last night at the Siyam Shah Sabinyanei HaOma, Koran had an amazing presence. Uh, beautiful booths, um, people going around, uh, giving out gifts and encouraging people to sample the new ta- the new um, um, Talmud Bavli mm-hmm. uh, to get a taste of it. Because this coming Sunday, we're now two days away from the actual start of Mesechet Brachot mm-hmm. from the actual start of Shas. Again, are, are you feeling the energy that many people in the Jewish world are actually gravitating toward this Daf Yomi project for the next cycle?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm generally, um, my, my general sense is that uh, Daf Yomi as a movement is gaining more and more momentum. Um, I myself am uh, privileged uh, to be teaching Daf Yomi a number of times a week. And I see the diverse uh, crowd that comes to uh, to the shiurim. And uh, I think it is becoming more and more uh, popular. And definitely this is um, this is a uh, book that can help uh, people
0: access, people of all different uh, backgrounds, access uh, the Dafyami. No question about it. Rabbi Avisham again says with us, all right, um, you have selected a specific part of the Talmud in mm-hmm. order to do your presentation this morning. How did you arrive at the area of Talmud that you wanted to share with our listeners this morning?
1: So I wanted to uh, take something which uh, will come up in uh, DAF Yomi relatively soon. Okay. So this is uh, the DAF uh, that we're going to be learning next Thursday. Um, so it's within uh, within a week. And I selected uh, a DAF which, on the one hand, um, showcases our use of colorful images, and uh background notes um and including um a a halachic aspect and also an agada aspect right right? as we know in the talmud besides many uh halachic jewish law uh, discussions we have what we call agada which is more of the you know philosophy um maybe even uh, mysticism at times um and uh, Masechet Brachot is very interesting in that it includes both of right. these. It's a lot uh, of both. <laughs> yeah, a lot a lot of both.
0: Do you have scholars who are specialists in halakha and scholars who are specialists in Agada?
1: So absolutely, yes. And I think that generally, I- I've seen this, you know, teaching Dafyomi, where a lot of times people feel, oh, you know, Agada is like mm-hmm. the fun stuff. Because right. it's 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 considered easy, you can just kind of like you know run, uh, through, it. run through it, but really, when you stop to think about it, um, really understanding how the rabbis are learning these different verses, what are the you know deeper ideas behind um What they're saying. And also, as we'll see today, how they arrived at the, you know, the conclusions and, and these uh, beautiful ideas that they're conveying. Uh, in a sense, I think it might be even more difficult and more time consuming if one would learn
0: Agada in depth. Um, and not just uh, Halakha It's funny because even growing up, when we were first introduced to the Talmud, many rabbanim would say that to us: mm-hmm. that for some of you, might you might think this is easier, but if you really take this seriously, you might find it the more difficult aspect right, of right. the Talmud. Absolutely. All Absolutely. right. So this is the daf that's going to be studied on Thursday, as you mm-hmm. said. From Masechet Brachot, let me point out to our listeners, in addition to being on Facebook, facebook.com slash Nachum Siegel Network, what you have done in terms of color coding for us, you actually color coded mm-hmm. in advance mm-hmm. this page, is on our app right now. So if someone goes to the Nahum Siegel Network app, you will see in the background of the app the actual page uh, that Rav Shai is going to uh, study with us, and, uh, and really, by way of you studying this with us through this uh, short shiur, if you will, uh, we're going to get an idea of what makes this... Steinzalt's Koran Talmud Bavli mm-hmm, unique, mm-hmm. because what you're doing for us here, one cannot find in any other edition of any Talmud, correct? Right, correct. All right, so let's get started. What are we, what are we, what are we studying here?
1: Um, so we're going to start with the third paragraph here on uh, the page. This is uh, Daf 6b in uh, Brachot. Um, so what we're going to do here, I'm going to read the Hebrew okay. and anyone who wants can follow, uh, with the English. As you'll notice, um, the, there's bold text in the English and, uh, regular text. The bold text is basically the, uh, direct translation of the Hebrew Aramaic and the, uh, regular text
0: is, Um, like more explanatory text. Um, That's the supplemental words that help you understand what the uh, actual um, uh, strict text is telling us, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. And... Um, you can try this for yourself. If you just read the bold text only, it will make sense. I'm not, you know, right. I cannot say that <laughs> it will definitely uh, uh, be grammatically correct, but it will, it will make sense. You'll be able to um, to get the gist of things. Um, so the third paragraph is Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Elazar de Amri trevaihu Kiv'an shenitzterech adam la'briot, panav mishtonot kichrom shenamar kichrom zulut leveni adam. Okay, so our translation is that once a person um, becomes needy and um, needs other people's assistance, so his face changes like a kirum, right? Specifically, uh, a Hebrew word um, mentioned in, uh, in the pasuk. Um, okay, so you read that, kind of um, not, not exactly sure what a kirum is. So the, the Gemara continues, my kirum, right? What is this uh, kirum? Right, there is a bird, right, in the cities of the sea called Ikrum. So abroad, right, where Chazal are in uh, Bavel, Right. And they are saying that abroad, you can find um, this beautiful bird called a krum. And when the sun, the sun rises, so it changes its colors. Right, So this sounds like something kind of, you know, magical, maybe mystical, right? This is something that we might uh, encounter in, in maybe like a, a fantasy story, this uh, bird that changes colors. Um, so I think that most people, the classic way of learning, you would go through this and say, okay, you know, this, this nice idea in Chazal, easy agadita, I understood the words, I understood the connection between the words, now I can um, continue. However, here, if you take a look at the uh, background note that I uh, highlighted, um, it seems that this bird can be identified as the shining starling. I actually found this. like I, I you know, um, searched it on Google. There are different names for this, and this is a, also something amazing to it's point out. It's a real out. bird. Huh? <laughs> it's, it's a real bird, but what, what amazes me, and also this has been you know, throughout the, the process of um, you know, when I was uh, handling the the content, this is a translation of Steinelt's work right. 40 years ago.
0: He's already said this. He's already they, established this. They
1: did not have Wikipedia. Right. No Google. They to did look not at. have
0: Google. Right. They actually knew
1: this stuff. You could not pretend that, you know, oh, you know, you're this great scholar. You actually had to know these things. Um, and it really is amazing when you see how accurate they were. However, we did um, go ahead and, at times, um, update the notes based on information that uh, that we have available today. Um, and, Such uh, as what,
0: location of the bird and things like that? Like so sometimes, you know, details. sometimes,
1: you yeah, exactly, you can change details right. or, um, you know, maybe update uh, if there's a more common name, right? So, like, in this note, we have, um, the, like, the common name Shining Starling, and we also have the, um, the Latin name. So sometimes, you know, the, the common name might, uh, might change and it, you know, be more accessible to people, um, today.
0: And I assume the photograph on the page of the Talmud is a photograph of that bird. Exactly.
1: Right? So it's a photograph of that bird. So you can see the, the beauty and the, and the color of it. But if you look, if you read the note itself, what's interesting is towards the end of the note, um, it says that uh, this this bird, the, the the color of this bird is unique, in that it is not pigmented, meaning it's not the actual color of the bird. Rather, rather the the um, biological structure of its feathers causes the the light that hits it right. to fracture in in a way that may that gives you the illusion of colors changing. So it's all about the sunlight. Exactly. It's the way the, the sunlight uh, hits us. If you want to read more about this, um, so Dr. Moshe Ranan wrote an article online, um, and he references the, the Hebrew Steinsalt and, and expands on this. And I find this very interesting because it turns it from something that you feel, okay, maybe Chazal kind of... Maybe made up something, and, or just you know, to, to convey an idea. They didn't actually refer to something in the physical wor- world. However, exists. you see, they are traveling, they're going places, they're seeing things, and they're incorporating that into their learning. That is a very deep educational message. They're not just like this um, idea that sometimes people have. Okay, you know, the rabbi sat in the Beit Midrash all day long morning to night uh, their entire lives and, you know, never reference the actual world. No, they're looking at the same bird that you and I can look at and say wow, you know, they looked at this bird and took a message from it. Maybe I myself can, you know, find some, uh, some deep message in that. So I think that's already a very, um, you know, deep educational message and connects us to real life. This We're is sp- not just a book.
0: We're speaking to our Avi Shaimagensa, who is the uh, content curator for the Noe Edition current, Talmud Bavli, and production manager of all current projects. You made a point, and I'm so glad you brought it up, I wanted to emphasize it to our listeners because many of them are familiar with the Hebrew Stein Gemara that came out many, many years ago. The, the scholars were assigned when it came to this project to literally translate that. Mm-hmm. You weren't looking for them to add to it; you wanted them to take what Riff Steinsaltz had already done mm-hmm. and bring it to light, obviously in English as well. That was a major part of the project, uh, and I think that's important to note that this mm-hmm. was a that I- if you want authentic Steinsaltz, mm-hmm. this is authentic Steinsaltz. Mm-hmm. This is not the scholars at Koren, you know, putting their spin on anything.
1: Right, exactly. Um, however, I do I do have to add that at times. Rav um primarily, to my understanding, what he tried to achieve was to uh, get past the linguistic barrier um, that, that you find in the Talmud so that Israeli um, scholars would be able to access the, the Talmud. Therefore, when things are clear in Hebrew, he often left uh, left it un, um, unexplained, right. right? So you would have to you would still have to you know think deeply and try to understand what the interpretation is. However, in English, we had to really translate every word, of course, and therefore at times also add the explanatory text. So, in a sense, it is actually more accessible to people. Um, without uh, a background, whereas the
0: Hebrew Steinsaltz um, does have like that extra step, because because I steps. assume R. Uh, when he started uh, his project um, felt he was speaking to somebody, right? I, I assume the average Israeli, so mm-hmm. to speak who was somewhat familiar with Hebrew and whose Hebrew, right, because of their knowledge of Hebrew, would help them through Chumash, through the Talmud, a little bit more than somebody whose first language was not Hebrew.
1: Absolutely. And also, I think that, you know, in Israel, it's sort of, um, my, my sense is that there are many phrases from the Talmud, including in Aramaic, right. that are considered like high register. So, whereas, right, if someone, if someone in, you know, speaking English is using like a Latin phrase to, to kind of, uh, give it like a higher register. Mm-hmm. So in Israel, what you would do, okay, for example, if you're listening to a judge being interviewed on the radio, you might hear him quote um, different phrases from the Talmud and Aramaic. So the, it's, it's generally, uh, you know, someone who's well-educated in Israel um, has some access already to the language of Chazal, to, uh, to the concept, and um, the major barrier would be to to get past the the language uh, barrier. So that's what Ruf Steinsalt, uh was trying to do and we took it a step forward, I think, um, and made this accessible to really
0: really anyone. Uh, is there a lot of debate about English phrases? Or is there a lot of debate mm-hmm. of oh Ruf Steinsaltz wrote this in Hebrew, here is how it really should be translated into English and then this becomes an issue, so to speak, among your staff?
1: Yeah, so definitely there were many, many uh, discussions of uh, of that type. Uh, what we ended up doing is we had our editor-in-chief uh, make the final, the final decisions, decisions <laughs> and then we used uh, custom made software um, for the editors and translators to be able to access the this, this database, right? Because obviously we didn't have one person going through all of Shas uh, that we, we would not be able to do that within uh, this time frame. So in order to make sure that everyone is on the same page and using the same translations for the same phrases found, out, found throughout uh, Shas, so we used custom-made uh, software to, uh, to implement that. What else do you want to show us from the page itself? Um, so, if you go um, a few paragraphs uh, down, where I've highlighted this uh, too, um, so we find a um, a more halachic uh, discussion. Although this isn't really, um, you know, the cl- a classic halachic discussion in the sense of that we'll have uh, differences of opinion, rather a, a halachic statement. So, again, you can follow um, in the English while I read the, the Hebrew. Anmar Abi Chelbo, Right? So he says, you must be uh, careful, right? Our translation is uh, vigilant uh, with regard to the, uh, the afternoon prayer, right? To make sure um, to daven mincha on time. Um, and if you take a look at, uh, at the note here, quoting uh, Kliyakar, uh, he points out that the reason mincha is singled out is because it occurs in the middle of the day. Most of us are extremely busy, we're at work, we're doing things, and our kids and, and The most and inconvenient tefillah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Although I, I, I heard once a joke about uh, mincha that it says, uh, tfilot avotiknum, right? That the, the our forefathers are the ones who instituted the Tfilot because then, right, a man can say to, the, sorry, got to go to Shoal you right? know, and uh, kind of just uh, disappears. Um, so we have to uh, we have to be vigilant uh, with regard to uh, to mincha because it really is uh, inconvenient, um, and that is the time where we we stop everything we're doing and remember that there is uh, more meaning and depth to um, our lives, and I, I actually think that this is uh, really appropriate for um, the beginning of the cycle of Dafyomi, where um, you know many, many people who study Dafyomi, right. it, it is never convenient. <laughs> I know this from experience. A lot of it, people do it early, early morning or late, late at night. Right, or on the train right. or you know at work in, you know, in the middle of the day, take off uh, some time during lunch hour. Um, and it, you always have to make time for it actively. It is, a, it, it is not something that you can just spend uh, you know, a few minutes on. You really have to delve deeper into. Although I was thinking that actually, if you take a look at the structure of the way we've uh, we've laid out uh, the page we've br- th- I think this is really innovative in terms of breaking up the Talmud into paragraphs mm-hmm. right so it's bite-sized pieces so if you really do not have an hour you know a full hour to sit down um, once a day what you could do is you could reference um, uh, single paragraphs as a bite-sized piece <laughs> and right and just and just learn that piece and then you know you have another five minutes later mm-hmm. on in the day you can learn like the next piece the next two pieces and and therefore get through the duff because if you look at a classic vilna daf, um oftentimes it's intimidating oh, it's yes. like a very huge thing like how am i ever going to get through this um and i think generally that's a that's a you know a very very well accepted method of uh, productivity is taking a huge task and breaking it down into smaller pieces and in a very visual way we We've done that here for uh, for
0: people. Do we have a stat uh, on average, how many Steinsalts, Talmud, Bavli, Pages to the average Do You have any idea? Usually, um,
1: so I'm. I'm sure we do. I do not have that. Uh, what would you think? Like it's around
0: what? Like in this area of the Talmud, it'd be around six, seven pages.
1: I would guess something like that because, again, the fact that we that we did this uh, very you know um, open layout right. with so much uh, white space, so definitely we have to. I'd say it's it's probably about that. You know, about three times the the size of the original uh, Talmud.
0: It is always a pleasure to speak to you, and Mazal Tov. the The accomplishment is absolutely incredible. Incredible. And the yeah, Jewish world, so. as you know, is taking notice and really taking advantage of it, especially now with the brand new cycle of Dafyomi. Todarabat. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Rabbi Avishai Magensa. And best to your family, by the way. Don't forget the Seagulls and the Magensas go way back. <laughs> thank you. And I hope they're still a St. Louis Cardinal fans. <laughs> <laughs> that was my conversation with Rabbi Avishai Magensa. Uh, Rabbi Yadidya Naveh, who's the managing editor of Mikraot Dorot, this brand new incredible project from Koran Publishers, joined us during our trip to Jerusalem recently. And uh, here's a chance to hear what he had to say about this unique project. Rabbi Yadidya Naveh on this edition of JM Rewind at the Nachum Siegel Network. Rabbi Yadidya Naveh is managing editor of the Mikraot HaDorot series at Koran. By the way, if you're watching right now, this is the sample of the Koran Mikraot HaDorot Sefer. Um we'll, we'll hear in a moment how big this project is. I was given a briefing about this project last night. It is absolutely spectacular. He, meaning Rabbi Naveh, has held editorial positions on several major Koran publications in English, including the Koran Talmud Bavli and the Steinsaltz Tanakh. He holds a BA from Yale, Smicha from the Chief Rabbinate of Israel, and lives here in Jerusalem with his family, Rabbi Neveh, welcome to JM in the A.M.
2: Thanks, Nachum. It's great to be here. Can uh, I just say before we start that sure. it's a real privilege for me because I grew up on JM in the A.M. Thank I you. Was, uh, grew up in Riverdale, and I went to elementary school on the Upper West Side, and I have nice. vivid memories of being stuck in traffic on the Upper West Side <laughs> <laughs> listening, to, listening to beautiful Jewish music. So All right, it's the,
0: the traffic was not our responsibility. The Nobody great the opportunity. <laughs> was our responsibility. So I'm glad you have pleasant memories of those experiences Um, I was given a briefing about this Koren Mikraot HaDorot series. Some might think I'm mispronouncing it because they're used to the words Mikraot Gedolot, which is the classic chumash, right? Mikraot Gedolot is the one that includes so many commentaries, Rashi, Ramban, and many, many others in that classic, what usually is a five-volume set of chumash. This is Koren Mikraot HaDorot. I don't know how much of the history of this project you know. But I'm curious where it came from. Where 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 did it start that we're going to make an adjustment to the way that the Chumash is presented?
2: Well, this this is this project was born in a very uh, uh, important uh, breakfast that was eaten by uh, <laughs> by Matthew Miller, the publisher of, uh, of at Koren. And uh, Rabbi Mar- Marvin Heyer, mm. where the two were discussing uh, contemporary learning of uh, of Torah and of Tanakh. And they mentioned to each other how what a shame it was that people don't really have access to so many important uh, commentaries of uh, the ancient time and of modern period, such as Matthew mentioned Philo, Rabbi Heyer mentioned uh, um, the Mishnat um, Rabbi Aaron Cutler. And they uh, sort of hatched a plan where... We could maybe expand the idea of Mikot Hagdolot in order to encompass all of Jewish history, from the most ancient mm. sources, Midrashim, the Talmud, all the way up to to, to modern luminaries such as the Rav, the Wawitcherebi.
0: So I will so I'm I'm somewhat accurate that you're including some of the classic commentaries, Absolutely. right? There are classic commentaries in here. At the same time, I guess with what, the appropriate parsha or the appropriate Passuk, you'll decide to add somebody who's from more contemporary times. So we,
2: we've expanded the uh, the scope. Of the this project so much that it, since like I said it goes f- all the way b- from you know Philo of a- Alexandria and from and from the Talmud all the way till most recently Nachman <laughs> which like the only rule is you have to be dead in order <laughs> to be in order to be in the in, in the volume there was so much material that first of all we had to to select with I don't a, know how you uh, even with, uh, with the tweezers that. but it was also so much that we couldn't even fit it all on the page for a given uh, for a given block of text right. so what we did is we divided the book into three different parts hmm. one the first one is called uh, the uh, for the one, first one is for the for the ancient commentaries and it's called the time of the sages this is where we have stuff from Hazal the okay. second one I'm I'm called looking the, at that right yeah, now the second one is called the classic commentators which are what we normally are familiar with in in uh, in mm-hmm. these are you know we are showing medieval commentators and the third section is called confronting modernity and this is where we have uh, the more modern luminaries and modern is a is a is right. a broad term right starting all the way back from uh, you know from even from uh, from or Haim, but going all the way up to you know Rav Selovechik and Hamalebovich.
0: Hirsch is in that section. Absolutely. Ham McDover is in that section mm-hmm. that you just described. You. So now I get every one of these volumes will be one individual parsha. One individual parsha. That's, That's how big this volumes. book is. That's 54 volumes. You need an entire volume to cover just one parsha. Right. One book a week you're taking to show with you. Unbelievable. And uh, <laughs> so people have to make room on their shelves. Yeah. <laughs> in, order, in order to purchase this product.
2: Luckily, it's not that fat, so right. you, can, you, you can probably fit it on a, on a good shelf. What but. is
0: remarkable, first of all, everything you just mentioned is in English. Right. Everything you just mentioned, in other words, when I'm looking at either a classic commentator or one of the more modern ones, it, there is zero Hebrew text. It is all English. Right, aside from the text of the of the Torah. Of itself. the Torah, right, right? Just the text of the Chumash, and that's it. Other than that, it's all English, right? Uh, with the uh, with this this would be the Dvarimotfil. Right, right, th- we th- those would refer also, you back to the text. Right. Those would also be in uh, in in Hebrew, uh, but other than that, it's all in English, which is, I mean, going to be a tremendous you know treasure trove for for rabbis and for for those who uh, you know just want to know more and more about the parsha. Absolutely, that's the
2: idea is to try to take these texts, which uh, at the end of the day have been. A lot of the times obscure or or difficult for the for the average reader to access, and to really open it up for the English speaking reader in the most accessible way possible.
0: When will this be released to the public? This
2: should be released to the public uh, pretty soon. I don't think we have a final we have a final date next yet. Next few weeks, but like that type of thing. This is a question for for for, the, the for, quote, for, for the quote, Matthew. The quote yeah. that was given to yeah. me
0: by the people that you work with at Coren, mm-hmm. is that sometime in the next several weeks, the first volume that will sounds, be available. That sounds right. And then at what pace will these be released?
2: They're going to be released at a rate of, the plan is, five books a year. So we're planning on releasing this over 10 years. It's a major project, but a book every two months is a
0: lot when you think about everything that we're packing into this, a lot of material. Uh, I think, the, I think the, after we described what it took in order to get the, um, the shots uh, and the time commitment it took to get the shots done on time, so to speak, the timetable you're describing, you know, tells us just how voluminous a project this is. Uh,
2: absolutely, I think one of the big distinctions that that uh, it's interesting to note between this and between the Talmud Bavli project, which is that uh, the Talmud Bavli project really. Uh, it employed a veritable army of scholars. Right. Really, we had a tremendous number of people working on it. it, was, it, was, it this is much more circumscribed in terms, of the, in terms of the manpower. We have a small, dedicated work, team working very, very hard uh, in, order, in order to get this out.
0: It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and com, on the Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app next week. Uh, our weekly update will return with Malcolm Hohenlein, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Today we are celebrating last night's Siyam Ashas in Jerusalem with our friends at Koran. Rabbi Yedidya Naveh is managing editor of the Mikraot HaDarot series. That's what we just described, Mikraot Hadarot, uh, which is, of course, a big, big project that's being undertaken now by our friends at Koran Publishers here in Jerusalem. And... Um, again at the at the rate of that you just described, one can only imagine how much work's going into this. Are the big arguments what you alluded to earlier? What to include in each one? That's the, those are the big fights in the office. Turned, <laughs> the the milchamto shaltorah, torah, as we say. Is so that, is thank, that what it's come down to? So thank God
2: we we if we if we let that if we if we let that uh, become a subject of uh, of debate, it would be it would be never ending. We have a a, a great privilege of working with the editor in chief, Rabbi Shai Finkelstein, is the rabbi of Nitzanim uh, uh, congregation sure. here in Jerusalem. Uh, tremendous Chacham, and he is in charge. That is his central job in this project is to pick the material and he goes through an unimaginable amount of of, uh, of texts from the Rishonim and Achronim and from Chazal in order to pick out really what will be most interesting to us today. Obviously, there's no magic you know, number of how how exactly you can, or silver bullet, you know, which is the right one to pick. So somebody's going to be unhappy no matter what you put
0: out. Well, yeah, well the reason right. I'm laughing is because uh, I'm always amazed when someone's able to quote a Rashi and Chumash. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you'll ask a question and they'll say, oh, it's a Beferish, a Rashi and Chumash. And I'm like, oh, really? And <laughs> he addresses it. The people you're describing need to be familiar with every one of, you know, uh, 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 everything that's said by so many different commentators.
2: Well, the, You must the, be impressed with that group. It's tremendously impressive. It's, it's, a, it's a really talented group of people. And I just want to say, since you spoke to Rashi, this is the last section that we're packing a lot into this book. This book, if you turn it over and open it like a Hebrew book, it right. opens from two sides. Yeah, I saw that. If you open it like a Hebrew book, you'll find a full, all-new translation of Rashi, unabridged, Every single here, you can look it over over here. Uh, the every single uh, uh, um, article that Rashi wrote, every single Dibur Machil is translated in full.
0: Now, why would Rashi get this special treatment? Why, why do you think? <laughs> I'm asking. I don't know. <laughs> because he's Rashi. Right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we we all we all right, Rashi is, is 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 the the most important of the of of the of the of the of the classic so commentators. He deeper. is right. He is the he, he is really the. He, it's him that so many later commentaries are responding to. Mm-hmm. It is him that so many. Of the most well-known uh, sources from Chazal are experienced. We experience them through him because he really was sort of the original aggregator and picker when he when he, when he came to know, presenting all this.
0: I heard a shiur a few months ago, someone describing how close we were to losing the manuscripts of Rashi, how close we were in Jewish history, and that how, how different we would we would be today without his commentary on Chumash, which you just described as the essential. Commentary on Humash. no
2: question and even today we have many different manuscripts of Rashi uh, and uh, to that extent we're very indebted to a previous Koran project the the Surah which was put out with a, a, a new very accurate uh, rendition of uh, Rashi from the most reliable manuscripts in uh, a uh, newly released at this point it's not so new anymore right. but Koran rashi font uh, so I recommend that also for anybody which, it's also in this volume so you'll be and able to by see the it way
0: there. for those who don't think that the Rashi font also had its discussions and maybe I could say arguments as well there was a whole uh, a system that you went through in order to or that the people at Koren went through in order to get that Rashi font to its final conclusion
2: it was a fascinating story they actually found uh, sketches that were made by Eliyahu Kuren, uh and never published or released right. uh, and were able to they were partial but they were able to build the remaining uh, the remaining letters off of the ideas that they were able to get from this material so it really is authentic Koren uh, font
0: Rabbi Naveh tell me about the people you work with because it seems like you are surrounded by just incredible scholars and that Koran is unique, and this is not a comment about other publishing houses, etc., but it seems that, that you're in an environment that is uh, unprecedented in modern Jewish history.
2: It is a real privilege to work at Koran, because not only do we have uh, really, you know, top people in the in the sort of publishing end of the thing, but we also have in the content side. Uh, if you come to Koran, uh, the Koran offices in Jerusalem, you'll see that there are two sides of the office. One is the side that handles, you know, the, the, the business and, the, and the, the projects and the sales, and one side is devoted to content, and this includes uh, both uh, say Rabbi El- Eliao Misgav who is our, our art director a brilliant designer. He helped design a lot of the of the of the Koran Rashi font uh, that we see here. So much of the of the of the beautiful Koran design that we all experience today is really uh, is really indebted to him. Uh, on the, we also have just in the, in the sort of, uh, we call it the Beit Midrash Department, tremendous <laughs> tremendous uh, scholars like you know, Rabbi David Fuchs and Rabbi Inon Hain who are responsible for, uh, for uh, you know, editing and copy editing our Tanachim and, for, and, and our Sidurim. And it's such a privilege working with people who are so venerable and also just tr- you know, tremendously um, wonderful and warm people to work with.
0: You're in Israel how many years?
2: I've lived in Israel since 2011. That's and, eight years. And now. the reason I'm Nine asking years. is
0: yeah. because I don't know <laughs> if the people here in Israel... Understand what's happened over the last ten years in terms of Koren's influence in the diaspora. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you know sales would reflect it, and certainly reputation would reflect it. But it's a much different world out there right now because 20 years ago I could point to a lot of groups of people that would not be at all familiar with Koran and now there are synagogues and institutions where everything is directed to Koran.
2: Absolutely I, mean, I remember you know in the shul that I grew up in this is sort of at the beginning of this revolution when the new Koran you know, Sidur first right. came out uh, and uh, and how the, the, old, the Sidurim in our, in, our, in our shul were replaced by these new beautiful uh, Koran uh, Sidurim it made a tremendous impact on me personally and so when coming to Israel eventually uh I I spent a lot of time working on the Talmud Bavli with the Steinsaltz team, and then eventually coming to Koren itself was, for me, just a tremendous experience.
0: Well, they're doing quite a job. Were you there last night? Were you at the big celebration? I'm sorry. I had to miss it. It was something. And the presence that Koren had there was unbelievable, so distinguished. Uh, Their booth looked amazing, and uh, they were giving out uh, samples of brachot for people to get into the Dafyomi. And uh, the selection that's now available... From Cohen Publishers is unbelievable. It's incredible in every you know category imaginable. But it sounds like you're going to be immersed in the Humash for a while.
2: <laughs> I I am, but we have lots of other projects in the pipeline. So I'll just tell everybody to keep their eyes peeled because there's a lot more where that. Could came you
0: give from. me one teaser? What's one of the things that uh, that yeah. would be interesting to us? Wow,
2: one teaser. I think we uh, one thing we have in the pipeline now uh, is a uh, and I, I don't want to you know it, it, it's right. really it's very 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 beginning right. stages, uh, but it's a a, a young adult Humash that might be used as a could be used as, as a textbook in schools. Um, that's something that could be a great complement to this, and, and features a lot of the same of the same translations. Oh, and
0: actually, yeah. parsha by parsha, that would be perfect for a school. I mean, that's. You know, that, that's the way schools do it usually. But one of the great of things
2: show. about that is that there's going to be uh, Hebrew text together with the English text of the commentary to really allow the student to, 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 to compare them. And obviously there will be less than you have in here. We have a much greater uh, uh, selection because uh, having only English gives us the space on the page. But, uh, but that's going to be a great feature of that project.
0: Rabbi Yedidya Naveh, this has been a real pleasure. Thank Thanks, you so Mecho. much. Thanks, It's been a pleasure. Unbelievable. That was my conversation with Rabbi Yedidya Naver. Managing Editor of Mikra'ot Hadorot, Stu Hershkowitz, who we know as President of the uh, Jerusalem College of Technology, he was with us during our Koren Publishers show in Yerushalayim to discuss how amazing the Noe edition Talmud Bavli is and uh, what the experience of Daph has been for him. Stu Hershkowitz, my guest on JM Rewind here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Well, Stuart Hershkowitz is with us. He has been uh, an amazing friend of JM M for a very, very long time. Stu, of course is um, the president, vice, pre- vice president, thank you, <laughs> vice president of Jerusalem College of Technology. I know, I apologize. that's my mistake. I, I did have Stu's bio in front of me, but I had misplaced it, so sorry about that. But after all, we're old friends, so we can go through it ourselves. Thank you very much. Stewie Hershkowitz uh, is um, trained as an attorney in both Israel and the United States, member of the bar in both countries. Uh, he um, established... The International Division at the Bank of Jerusalem is one of the founders of the Cross River Bank in Teaneck, New Jersey. He's a board member in many prominent organizations and has served as a member of the Board of Trustees as well as a member of the Executive Committee for the Jerusalem College of Technology, serving now as Vice President of the College and CEO of its tech transfer company. I say, Stewie Hershkowitz, welcome back to JM in the AM.
3: Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be back here in, Achim.
0: I appreciate that. And it was great celebrating with you last night, the beautiful Siyam Asha, Sabinyanei HaOma. And it I really was. And I ask you, uh, because I only discovered this about 24 hours ago, that you're an avid Dafyomi fan. How did this all begin? When did you start your relationship with the one-page-per-day Talmud study?
3: So it's an interesting story, actually. Um, I've been learning for many, many, many years. Um, I learned in the gush, and after that, I continued learning pretty much every day, but I sort of gave myself a discount and said, well, the daffyomi is too hard, <laughs> <clears throat> and so I would do a little bit here and a little bit there, and um, I learned at my own pace. Um, two cycles ago, a friend of mine showed me he had an apple Shas pod, and uh, he had the whole Shas. It was an early this Right. <laughs> And, um, I said, wow, you know, there's no excuse anymore. Um, between a thousand different shiurim on the internet, everything that there is, there's no excuse. And if you look in the mirror and you say, I got to do this, especially in light of the so many the, well, we're going to be talking about sure. the koran and now, which makes life that much easier. Someone, um, who is very busy and has a very full schedule, um, I can tell you for myself that without it, I doubt that I could do it.
0: Wow. Interesting. (coughs) Wasn't it this cycle, the one that's that's just ending now, where you discovered the Koran Talmud Bavli?
3: So, yeah, the Koran Talmud Bavli came out for this cycle. The previous one I did as well. This is my second time, thank God, finishing it. And I'm very excited to start
0: the third. What made this cycle unique in in terms of your experience with the Koran Talmud Bavli?
3: So the current Talmud Bavli, um, well, I've been using the Steinzeltz for many, many, many years Uh, in Hebrew. Um, I can imagine that. But I was amazed at how um, they've upgraded the original Steinzeltz. Everything from the aesthetics, the printing, the the binding, the quality. um, The little pictures that they had sketched out are now really class photographs. Um, histories and backgrounds and the halacha and um, in bite-sized pieces that you could either um, use the front of the gemara, which is um, with the vowels, uh, which is certainly helpful, including in the rashi, or you can use the English in the back um, when you need it. And uh, it just makes it very, very user-friendly. And for someone, as I said, who doesn't have a lot of time and does it, as you said, maybe early in the morning, it, <laughs> what I find it very challenging is traveling. Right. Um, I travel, As you know, I travel right. a lot. And um, keeping up with the schedule when you're traveling, it's just something that you know. I think that everybody prioritizes in life, uh, sometimes knowingly, sometimes not knowingly. And a person who undertakes a daffyomi um, he knows that this is an integral part of his life. As um, my friends all say, the Daf waits for no man.
0: <laughs> That's right. You cannot fall behind. Once that day ends, <laughs> then you're already behind. Stu Hershkowitz is with us. Now, are you the type that would uh, take this Talmud Bavli, the Koran one, to a shear or are you generally doing this yourself through the, uh, through the publication, through the Koran uh, uh, Talmud Bavli? So
3: I've almost never gone to a shiur. Uh, my hours are very strange. Um, I so this is it on of, your own you're doing this? Oh, absolutely. I've almost never gone to a shear maybe three or four times in the last 15 years. So I enjoy doing it at my own pace. I'm a little slow, so it takes me a little <laughs> longer. The and my find sometimes are a little too quick for my taste. And the great thing is if you have a little bit more time one day, the Koran Shas allows you to get a lint into it a little bit more. Uh, it, has the, um, it has enough material for you to look... Further, if you want to, right. to look in the Rambam, to look in the Shulchan Aruch, and I find that to be very helpful. I usually get to that on Shabbos.
0: <laughs> and that enhances the experience, to say Correct. the least. All those extras. You know. uh, and earlier we spoke about it and we were given a demonstration of the different notes, um, the uh, the different notes and backgrounds that are pointed out in the Steinsalt uh, Talmud, and the, all those just add to the experience. And and now that you've had two cycles of doing it yourself with different publications, you could tell us that, you know, this one is different. This one is a, you know, is unique. Let's put it that way.
3: It really is. And Rasal uh, Vajrik has a great vartora on um, what a sim is. Mm. And I'm going to say it tonight in my shul in Baka, where uh, we're going to have a sim. What he says is um, that the CM is not about finishing. It's about starting. Finishing is great, but when you start again, you have to start at a different level. Finishing it the second time for me requires me and puts pressure on me to know that the <laughs> next time I do it, I have to up my game.
0: Yeah, to say the least.
3: And uh, the corn allowed me to do that the second time around. Nice. And I hope to be able to get a little bit more into it. The third time around.
0: Well, I, I know that the, the kiddushes are going to be happening this Shabbos <laughs> for the end of the cycle. Based on what you're suggesting, Stu, maybe we should have a kiddush for the beginning of the cycle. That would be... Uh... <laughs> so the Rav said
3: that his grandfather would always ask for chassan breishas and not chassan Torah. Because chassan breishas is starting again right. at a higher level.
0: Phenomenal. Uh, how are things at the Mahon Lev and how... Do they use Ruf Steinsaltz to enhance their learning in that wonderful institution? And Machonlev of course, the Jerusalem College of Technology.
3: Yeah, so we have about uh, 500 guys in our base medrash every day. Right. They learn every morning from 8.30 till about uh, 12.30. And then there's a short break, and then they go to their academic classes. The morning is on the level of any uh, top yeshiva, I would say. And um, I see that a lot of the Israelis use the um, the Hebrew version of the Steinzels and our American students, which um, we're getting more and more of them. We have over 100 American students today uh, who are studying English, um, our computer science and our business in English completely. Uh, I see many of them walking around with the Koran Um This time around, that it's completely finished, um, I think that Brachos we'll see more and more of it. I was amazed last night at how many um people um are now into it. And it's not so much that I don't know how many people last night really finished the Shast. Right. But the fact that they were giving cover to the Torah and to the people who did it means that this is something that they look up to and they're giving cover to Torah. That's I think the beauty of the of the all the celebrations, whether at Met Life Stadium or in Binyanoma last night. And um, I think we have something coming up this week in Mahon Lef, where we'll also do Arm um, Siam, uh, and I will Yeah, be you using. probably
0: have a lot of Masaimim in JCT. We certainly <laughs> I do. I can imagine.
3: So sometime <laughs> this week, last night, Rav Rimon, who was our Rosh Hashiva, <laughs> was, was at the ceremony. And um, we're going to have our – I'll probably be doing the, the Hadron in the base medras this week sometime. And I'm amazed how many students are doing it. You know, with their very, very difficult schedules as well.
0: It's incredible. Uh, well, there you have it. Stu Hershkowitz uh, giving an endorsement, to Absolutely. say the least. An enthusiastic endorsement. Very enthusiastic. To the current Talmud Bavli. Thank you, Stu, so much. Have Thank a, you, enough. Have a wonderful Shabbos in Jerusalem.
3: Good to be here again.
0: I appreciate that. I remind you that Curran's offering the Talmud Reference Package for free when you purchase a set of the Noe edition Koren Talmud Bavli. The Talmud Reference Package includes all necessary tools to enhance your Gemara learning, including Hamafteach, the practical Talmud dictionary. The Gemara Card and of Steinsalt's Revised Reference Guide. The 42-volume set's now available at the introductory price of 1600 With free shipping, go to korenpub.com. And don't forget, you can get the Maseches Brujos for just $30. A Noe Edition Koren Talmud Bavli, Maseches Brujos in color of black and white for just $30. Go to CorenPub.com for details. korenpub.com for details. That was my conversation with Stu Hershkowitz during our most recent visit to Israel. While we were at the Inbal Hotel, we were visited by uh, Dr. Professor Jonathan Alevi. Jonathan Alevi is, of course, the outgoing Director General of Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. We had a wonderful conversation. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. We're on Facebook Live, facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network, facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. Oh, there, there you go. And... Um, and uh, we are here with uh, Professor Halevi, who's, of course, the long time, the long time Director General of Shiret Sedek Medical Center at Jerusalem. We will not use the words outgoing or former. We can't, we can't do that, Professor Halevi. Well, my
4: formal uh, title now is President of the Hospital. Ah, there you go. But I'm definitely style. the outgoing uh, CEO of the Hospital after running it for 31 years, from 1988 to 2019, -2019. mid-2019, and it's a different life and not a different life. Um, I guess that's what you want to ask me about.
0: Oh, we'll talk about that, that's for sure. I'm curious what you thought of the celebration in New York. What did you think of that evening when we were all together uh, just over a month ago celebrating your stint at Shari Tzedek?
4: Yeah. Well, first of all, I have a very strong feeling of Hakarat of gratitude, to all the people in the U.S. and in Israel that worked behind the screen and behind my back to prepare this (laughs) dinner in my honor. And I'm very grateful to the many donors who together gave over $2 million, around $2.3 million in my honor. It's really uh, a big sense of uh, privilege, things that were said then. Uh, I gave uh, a short speech about, uh, if you were there, you heard about the road not taken deliberating about what would have happened uh, to me and to many patients if I took a different road when I was at the crossroad at the age of 38 when the late Mr. Ludwig Jesseson uh, suggested to me, offered to me to come to Shearit My wife gave the Radina, gave a very, um, you know, heart, speech from the heart about the heart. And uh, it, was, it was quite an experience, I must say. It was, it was some celebration. It should be an humbling experience, but it was quite an experience. It
0: was really amazing. Professor Alevi is Thank with you. us. It is difficult to maintain a hospital. It takes a lot of money. It takes great personnel. It takes a lot of ingenuity. And these days, with the ever-changing world of technology and medicine, it's almost impossible to keep up to date. Um, I know that you surround yourself and you're whole organization, surround themselves with, with amazing people, great medical professionals. But am I right that it's just one of these that one of these races that is so difficult to keep up with?
4: Well, some professionals, but to be fair, most of them are from the healthcare arena, right. say that this is the most uh, difficult job on earth. I, I disagree. I think the most difficult job in the world is to run the state of Israel <laughs> and to be the prime minister of Israel. And you can see what's uh, Happening these days, for better and for worse, and uh, what really ingenuity, resilience uh, it takes really to uh, to be the prime minister of Israel. But now, seriously, running a hospital is a difficult job because you really have to combine medical, administrative, um, you know, leadership, interpersonal skill abilities in order to do it successfully, and you're 100% right. The world of medicine is changing so rapidly, and it's becoming more and more difficult to stay up to date, uh, to keep um, the hospital financially uh, viable. Uh, you can see around us, even in Israel, those that are not governmental hospitals, not right. Kupat Cholim hospitals, are all uh, suffering, and they take great pride of the fact that we were able to do it, Uh, And we were able to do it with the help of many friends from uh, around the world. Um, I think that the key to success is exactly as you said, you pinpointed it, to surround yourself with good people. And by good people, I mean people in leadership roles in the hospital, namely, mainly not only your colleagues in the management team, which is very important, but all the heads of departments. In Sharetzedek today, there are 120 heads of departments, units, and services. If you concentrate on the departments with beds, the heavy departments, the main departments, we're talking about 25 departments. If the head of the hospital is able to mend these departments with heads that, in my view, abide by five criteria where they are considered to be superb. Nobody is an angel, including not heads of hospitals. But if you aspire to that, that every head of department would be a mensch, a leader in the discipline that he is about to manage, top managerial skills, a good researcher, and a good teacher. These are the five qualities. If you aspire to that and you can achieve as close as the maximum on these five arenas, the head of the hospital can really not go to sleep, but can be satisfied that things are done. And that's what I devoted my 31 years, you know. Fundraising was important, and the hospital would not exist without it, but it's a side job. It took between 10 to 15% of my time. As I said, at the New York dinner, I made thousands, hundreds of new friends. But the main task of the hospital director... Is really to select the best people to man key positions because such a personality will attract the best deputies, the best senior physicians, the best nurses, the best residents. So it's not the money, and I'm being serious when I say it's not the
0: money that keeps you up at night. It's not. That's not as you said, fifteen percent. It's not. That's not what gives you the sleepless nights. The sleepless nights are is the ma- actual management of the hospital yeah. and making sure everyone's doing their job.
4: Well, there, there are many sleepless nights and many reasons for a sleepless night. Including financial. First and foremost, yeah, I mentioned the financial. But if you want to grade, sure. to grade them from, really the point of view of the amount of anxiety, that is induced when things don't go well. First of all, it's an unexpected death or unexpected disability of a patient that you feel that you could be could be avoided. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, if uh, a new mother, if a patient in labor loses her life, and it's that's the tragedy of a head of a hospital. A woman who comes for a happy occasion to the hospital, she's supposed to leave the hospital, you know, they came... One or she and the husband and uh, they are supposed to leave three and she does not leave the hospital. And it's interesting to say, and this is the tragedy, it happened in my 31 years five times.
0: Do you actually remember the number of times? Of course, I remember
4: remember the names and every occasion because it is so meaningful. Um, But uh, I don't know if meaningful is only a positive term or you can use it um, in this sense. And it's very interesting, because at least 50% of the time when a mother in labor loses her life. And don't forget, that in these 31 years, they probably well, look on the average, take 15,000. So there were about 450,000 deliveries in Charitza. And we are talking about five cases. And most of the times, it's amniotic fluid embolus, which is unavoidable. And you can't do much. And we did as much as possible, rushing her to the operation theater and so on, resuscitation. But still, this is something that will give you not one sleepless night, but many, many days of sleepless nights. Now, there are other cases of patients that you feel that, you know, thank God they are very, um, very unusual, but it happens in the life of a head of a hospital that you feel someone come not out of surgery, alive or comes out with a disability where you feel that it could be avoided. That's the most difficult situation. Uh, the second is uh, definitely the financial. If you uh, cannot pay salaries in Sharit Tzedek is what we call a public-private hospital. We are public in the way that we are not for profit. We are public in the way that we develop our services according to the needs of the community and not according to financial considerations and others. We are private because we are not owned, not by the government, not by Kupat Holim, not by one of the HMOs. We are owned by an international board of directors, counting around 36 people from all over the world, who were elected for the first time in 1873 by the founders of the hospital? Mm-hmm. Of course, none of them is still officiating, <laughs> but you know they replace one another, and they are the owners. They hired my services 32 years ago. They uh, could fire me now, uh, three months' notice. All through these 31 years, and I'm grateful to them that they didn't, and. Uh, And they are responsible. They are accountable to the public that the hospital is run smoothly, without corruption, and with the best medical care. And it's the CEO of the hospital that has to implement this policy.
0: You know, one of the interesting things, I'm just going back for a moment to what you told us about these five cases. I I think many of the people listening, and and myself included, um, are surprised to know that you know of all these cases, that these cases, that in your position, in your lofty position in the... You know, in the hierarchy of the hospital, you may not even be informed of certain things or or be brought up to date on on things like that and believe me, I know how important a situation like that is, so just that you're aware of it and that it ends up causing you the aggravation and pain that it does is is pretty remarkable you're right,
4: but I do believe without false modesty that every head of a hospital knows about this case it's very unusual it's always unexpected. Uh, there are standing orders for the staff that every unexpected death should be informed, right. let alone this. And I was informed on all of them when the patient was alive. Right. And I rushed to the hospital because I think that the staff needs my support at that time, although I'm not a gynecologist. Right. And the family. I couldn't at the end, of course, right. the family. And actually, the head of the hospital should act together with the social worker as a liaison between what's happening in the resuscitation efforts that usually take place Mm -hmm. in the operation theater near the uh, delivery rooms. Communication. And the the family. Mm -hmm. And the family. But I would not concentrate on that because, again, each one of these cases is really a disaster. But don't forget, it's five out of 450,000 right. <laughs> almost, almost babies half a million born, birth. so I don't want any uh, yeah, pregnant woman to be panicked <laughs> that Prof- she is a candy. It's a very, very <laughs> rare situation, but very dramatic.
0: Professor Alevi is here, uh, and we're looking forward to our visit to Shari Tzedek this coming Monday. On that topic, we were discussing this earlier. You're always going through renovations and expansion. It seems like it's never-ending, and I think that's a good thing that it's never-ending. And now the emergency room is a big focus, cancer center, big focus, a lot of things going on. One of the things that was pointed out here on this show earlier today, though, was that the hospital operates to full capacity even through through all of those situations. How is that possible?
4: Okay, it all depends where you build. We were in more difficult situation. You know that I'm very grateful to my predecessor, Professor David Mayer, who moved the hospital from Jaffa Road, one of the magnificent buildings of Jerusalem, but it was too small for the hospital, to buy the across from Mount Herzl where right. we are today. And he left the upper two floors of the hospital, ninth, and the 10th floor, Empty because he was a great believer in the future of the city, future of immigration to Jerusalem, and he was right. And it was me, for me, to build this floor, which today is our birthing center, the ninth floor, and the tenth floor is our heart center, two of our flagships. And building in the building was much, much more difficult than today when we build a separate building or when we completed a couple of years ago, again with the generosity of friends from all over the world, the next generation building, because mm-hmm. this was a building adjacent, and the cancer center is adjacent to the next generation building and to the nursing school. The problem was to build in the hospital. And it takes special planning. The engineers and the builders were aware of it, that they are building in the In the building of the hospital, Uh, we took precautions in the contract about uh, air pollution, about noise. They couldn't work today in the cancer center. They worked till 11 at night. They couldn't do it when they were in the building because, uh, you know, for the patients it had to be... Only we get to make noise in the building during
0: the day, right? (laughs) And now the emergency room, it's also going through an expansion, right? The
4: emergency room is going through expansion, but again it's going to be outside. We have now Ah. a big tent where we accommodate all our... Uh, equipment for mass casualty events. We are going to move it and to build. And this is out of the existing area of the emergency room. Boy. So it's not going to be in the building. So but always, smaller projects are always done in the building. A hospital right. that doesn't build goes back. Right.
0: Uh, uh, there's always projects that need funding. There's always projects that are being done. And thank God the the people that uh, we speak to generally in New York, New Jersey, has been very generous, have been very kind to Sharetzedek Medical Center, Baruch Hashem. This is true. And, uh, and, and you are discovering, based on what you told us, more and more people, new families who you know, are abroad, who are not in Israel, who want to help out, who want to help build Israel. And it's funny, uh, and, and the Shari Tzedek example I think is unique. People really do feel they are helping to build Israel when they fund projects of yours at the hospital.
4: Look, I'm very subjective about it, but what could be more of help to the people of Israel in general, because 25% of our patients come from out of town? and to the people of Jerusalem, and then helping the largest hospital in the center of the city of Jerusalem who treats every uh, segment of Israeli society.
0: Yeah. 25% uh-huh. comes from outside Jerusalem? From
4: outside Jerusalem, to our centers of excellence. Yeah. That's
0: quite a statistic. You're, you're yeah. servicing a whole area of this country.
4: Yeah. Well, our formal catchment area is still Bechemesh. Right. Uh, not more, but Shemesh already split. Some of them go to Safarofe. Modin splits between the Tel Aviv area and mm-hmm. Asafarofe and Jerusalem, but uh, altogether, together 25 patients, mainly to our Heart Center for Complex Catheterization. Our Department of Surgery is uh, really unique in complex liver and pancreatic surgery. Surgical oncology, where patients, when they shop around, they decide to come from Kiryat from Haifa, from Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv has excellent medical center, but for specific tasks, you know, complex eye surgery, complex abdominal surgery, sometimes complex heart surgery, definitely complex catheterizations, neurosurgery, skull base. Even neurosurgery today is divided into subspecialties. There are those who do the axial when they, God forbid, the tumor, the cancer in the brain is in the center, or if it's on the skull base. So our head of neurosurgery happens to be one of the two leading skull base surgeons in Israel. So uh, if someone is shopping around, he lives in Be'er Sheva, and is looking for a skull base neurosurgeon. There is a very good chance that he will come to us. Unbelievable. Do you attract anybody from outside of Israel to come for surgery to Sharetzedek? I'll tell you. I'll tell you the truth. We have medical tourism, and I limited it. Based on Anyei Ircha and Anyei Iracheret, Anyei Ircha Kodmim, when the poor of your city so those of your are first. they take uh, priority right. over those from other cities. So in any... Um, medical issue where there are significant waiting lists of Israeli, I did not allow medical tourism. Now, for fertility there are no waiting, uh, waiting lists. For daycare oncology, not for surgery, but for spinal surgery, Israelis are waiting. For cataract surgery, Israelis are waiting. It's unfair to bring medical tourism. So we have limited medical tourism, and the limit, the scope, the limiting of the scope was self-made, was done by us.
0: We're looking forward to our visit on Monday to sharit Tzedek. It's always a pleasure and honor to have you on the air. And Thank continued you. success in your uh, new position as president of the hospital.
4: Thank you very much, Nahum. Always a, always a pleasure to be here.
0: I appreciate that. Always a delight to have Professor Halevi. That was my conversation with Professor Jonathan Halevi, outgoing Director General of sharit Tzedek Medical Center, on our most recent visit to Jerusalem Uh, here on JM Rewind at the Nahum Segal Network. Thanks so much for listening in. Plenty more coming up. Make sure to keep it on NSN all day long. Stay tuned for more right here at the Nahum Segal Network.